Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Catch Up Sports Podcast. I hope you're all having a fantastic day. I'm your host, Moses, and uh, welcome to the very first episode of this podcast. Uh, there's a lot ahead of us. We're going to talk about the Jamal Adams trade. Uh, we're going to talk about Dak Prescott's situation with the Dallas Cowboys. And we're going to talk about some NDBA restarts uh, and some intriguing storylines and uh, much more. So let's jump right into it. So last week, a blockbuster trade happened in the NFL where the Jets traded their superstar safety Jamal Adams to the Seattle Seahawks. And, you know, as we are NFL fans, uh, when a trade of this magnitude happens, it always seeks our interest to see who are the winners and losers of that trade. For example, the DeAndre Hopkins trade to Arizona, but the winners and losers of that trade are pretty obvious. So let's jump into it. First things first, let's uh, let's talk about the trade details. So the Seahawks received superstar safety Jamal Adams and a 2022 fourth round pick. The Jets received a 2021 first round pick, a 2022 first round pick, a 2021 third round pick, and safety Bradley McDougal. So after we reviewed the details of this trade, let's let's start on a positive note and talk about the winners. So the first winner is the Jets front office. Even though I don't agree with them trading their best player, the Jets totally finessed the Seahawks front office in this trade, and I applaud them for that. Getting two first-round picks for a defensive back is almost unheard of. Only Jalen Ramsey got that type of price when he was traded to the Rams last season. The Jets won up that trade by also getting Adams' replacement in the same trade. Seahawks' former starting safety Bradley McDougal is a solid starting caliber safety in the NFL. He isn't a game-changer like Adams, but he can still do the job. There hasn't been many trades where a team gets in return of a star such great draft capital and fills in their hole with a solid replacement. The second winner is the Seahawks, the Seahawks front office. And yeah, you can be a winner and a loser. I make the rules. So even though they paid a hefty price for a star player, they still come out victorious from this trade. And this is why. The Seahawks are lucky. They have one of the best quarterbacks of our generation on their team, Russell Wilson. So to utilize his prime, they need to surround him with as much star power as possible. This move by the Seahawks feels like an all-in move. They're all-in for the COVID year uh, 2020 next season. By overpaying for a star player to help them jump over the hump and make it to the Super Bowl. This move really reminds me of when the Chiefs traded a first and second round pick for defensive end Frank Clark, also an all-in move last year. That move proved to be worth it because Frank Clark had an outstanding playoff run with five sacks, one of them being the game-clinching sack in the Super Bowl. If the Seahawks make it to the Super Bowl next season, no one will be talking about how they overpaid for Adams. However, they'll be praising such a bold move by the front office. But... The pressure is on Seattle. Good luck. So the third and final winner is Jamal Adams. Jamal uh, is traded from a pretty mediocre Jets team to one of the best teams in the NFL. Jamal's ceiling with the Jets this year at best contending for a wildcard spot. And now he's on a team whose floor is making the playoffs and the ceiling is winning the Super Bowl. Okay, now let's talk about the losers of this trade. So the first loser is every single NFL team. And I'll explain why. The defensive back market has skyrocketed since last year. 
It started in last year's free agency, where safeties like Tyron Matthew and Landon Collins got historically high contracts paying them $14 million plus dollars a year. Now that Jalen Ramsey and Jamal Adams have been traded for such a huge draft capital and more, a new price for quality defensive backs have been set. And that means every single NFL team will have a tougher time trying to acquire a quality defensive back. The second loser is safety Bradley McDougal. The exact opposite of Jamal Adams, former Seahawks starting safety Bradley McDougal is traded from a Super Bowl contender to at best a playoff contender. And that's a tough pill to swallow. The third loser is the 49ers and their tight end George Kittle. The 49ers were very, very, very close to acquire Adams in a trade, but the Seattle Seahawks swooped in and took Adams away from them. That means the gap between the 49ers and Seahawks is smaller, or now the gap may be in Seattle's favor. When Seattle acquired Jamal Adams, they acquired someone who can guard George Kittle, a top two tight end in the league, twice a season. This happens after another division rival, the Arizona Cardinals, drafted the middle linebacker slash safety slash cornerback, you know, the positionless player Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson for the exact same reason, guarding the 49ers' biggest threat. For Kittle, four out of the eight division games they have uh, in the coming year, he'll have a tough matchup going against these two. And that would be really interesting to watch as a fan. The fourth and final loser are Jets fans. Or, and also the Jets team in general, not the front office, their team. So when a team luckily trips on a superstar caliber player, a true game changer, in my opinion, you should never let him go. Yes, the Jets got a lot back for Jamal Adams, but at the end of the day, the Jets still lost their best player. And you have to accept that the Jets are worse without Jamal Adams. The New York Jets have been rebuilding since the Mark Sanchez era ended in 2014. This trade is just prolonging this rebuild. It's sad for Jets fans because their team probably won't be serious competitors for at least the next two years. And you know what? I'll finish this segment with one question for Jets fans. These two first round picks you got from the Seahawks uh, will be late first round picks. So what are the chances your team will draft with these draft picks? a superstar caliber talent like Jamal Adams. I doubt it. Another thing that happened in the NFL recently is uh, that Dak Prescott, the Cowboy star quarterback, signed his $31 million franchise tag. He signed that franchise tag after turning down an historic five-year, $175 million deal with over $100 million in guaranteed. And uh, that would pay him an, about $35 million annually. Some Cowboys fans are displeased because uh, Dak Prescott is only a fourth-round pick, he never got paid real quarterback money, and Dak Prescott is their cornerstone for their franchise. But if I was a Cowboys fan, I'd be glad Dak didn't sign that team-destroying contract. I think Dak's mistake saved the Dallas Cowboys, and I'll explain why. For transparency, I'll explain what makes a quarterback great. In other words, a quarterback worth more than $32 million. So... A great quarterback or elite quarterback is a quarterback who elevates his teammates around him and his team in general is greater just by his presence. So regarding Dak Prescott's case, I'd like to go back to the 2017-2018 season. So during that season, Ezekiel Elliott, the Cowboys star running back, one of the best running backs in the league, 
suffered a six-game suspension for violating league policy. From week 10 to week 15 of that year, Ezekiel Elliott served his suspension. Even without Ezekiel Elliott, the Cowboys had the best offensive line in the league, a primed as Bryant, Cole Bleasley, a solid slot receiver, a younger Jason Witten, and Alfred Morris was a legit uh, running back backup at the time. So we can say that Dak had a more than an okay supporting cast without Zeke. So by week 10 of that season, the Cowboys were 5-3, and three, contending for a playoff spot. Let's see how Dak led his teammates in this crucial stretch of games. So on week 10, they faced the Atlanta Falcons, who were a wildcard team that year, and they finished 10-6. and six. They got blown out 27-7. to Dak's stats were 176 yards, 0 touchdowns, and 0 interceptions. You might say just a fluke game. Maybe just Dak has to get used to not being without a star running back. You know what? If it's just one game, I'm okay with that. So the next week, they faced the Philadelphia Eagles, the Super Bowl champions of that year. And they got blown out 37-9. to Dak's stats were 145 yards, 0 touchdowns, and 3 interceptions. A pretty bad performance to say the least. Uh, let's go to the next week. So they faced the Los Angeles Chargers, who didn't make the playoffs that year. They finished 9-7, and and they got blown out 28-6. Dak Prescott's stats were 179 yards, 0 touchdowns, and 2 interceptions. Also a bad game by the Cowboys star quarterback. So next week, they broke, they broke the losing streak. They faced the Washington Redskins. Yeah, they were the Redskins at the time, not the Washington football team. Uh, the Redskins finished 7-9 and nine that year, and uh, the Cowboys smoked the Redskins 38-14. to 14. And uh, regarding the Redskins game, some of you might think, Hey Moses, the Cowboys smoked the Redskins without Zeke. Dak Prescott can elevate his team, and you're wrong. So, this is my counter-argument regarding that game. Dak's stats that game were 102 yards and 2 interceptions. We're not in the 1940s. Quarterbacks don't throw for 100 yards a game anymore. Number two, it helps when your running back runs for more than 120 yards, averaging almost 5 yards per carry. Number three, it helps when your defense holds your opponent to 14 points and forces 4 turnovers. And four, the Redskins weren't good that year. They finished 7-9 and nine, and they were pretty dysfunctional. So in conclusion, Dak's impact on that game was insignificant. So let's move on to week 14. They faced the worst team in the league that year, the New York Giants. Uh, the uh, Eli Manning-led New York Giants, and of course the Dallas Cowboys won 30-10, but you gotta remember, was against the dysfunctional Eli Manning-led Giants. And the last game without Ezekiel Elliott, they faced the Oakland Raiders. Uh, the Raiders finished 6-10 and that season, and the Cowboys barely won 20-17. Derek Carr, the Raiders quarterback, fumbled the ball on the one-yard line with 31 seconds left in the game. If Derek Carr scores... The Cowboys just lose to a bad Raiders team. And looking at Dak's stats, 212 yards and two interceptions, the Cowboys didn't win because of Dak Prescott. He pulled them down, to be honest. So the Cowboys finished that stretch of games 3-3 three and, three, uh, and being blown out by every team with a positive record. The Cowboys ultimately finished 9-7 and seven that year and missed the playoffs. In comparison, a fellow division quarterback, Carson Wentz, the Eagles quarterback, led an injury-riddled Eagles team to the playoffs over Dak Prescott and a stacked Dallas Cowboys team. Went through that stretch, was literally throwing to converted quarterbacks to wide receiver. 
talk about an underdog. And of course, I can talk about the 2018 offensive struggles before acquiring Amari Cooper, or not being able to beat a team over 500 last year with a stacked roster. But to me, this stretch of games in the 2017-2018 season proves to me that Dak can't elevate his team by himself. And he can be competitive without an elite supporting cast. If Dak Prescott signs that contract and gets paid $35 million a year, the Cowboys front office wouldn't be able to keep such a good supporting cast around Dak Prescott, and the team will just fall into mediocrity or worse. So, that's why Dak Prescott isn't worth that much money. Cowboys fans and their front office should consider themselves lucky that Dak didn't sign that contract. As you all know, finally, after four long months, the NBA is back. Um, my first couple thoughts on the restart, it's really just a breath of fresh air just to watch competitive games, opening the ESPN app and watching real game highlights and uh, looking at real game stats. And uh, I really applaud the NBA, how they planned it. Um, uh, it doesn't feel empty. Um, the virtual crowd is really cool. Adding crowd noise is also really important. It doesn't make it feel weird. And uh, they're not playing in an empty stadium. They're playing in a huge studio. Not like the MLB where they're playing in empty stadiums where you really feel the emptiness and it's pretty weird, weird to watch. So there's a couple games I want to talk about uh, from the NBA restart. So the first game I want to talk about is the Lakers against the Clippers. So the marquee matchup of the NBA restart was the battle for LA. And uh, the Lakers beat the Clippers in a nail-biter. But even though the Lakers won that game, I have more concerns for the Lakers than praises. While the Lakers came into this game with full force, you know, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma, Alex Caruso, even signing J.R. Smith to replace Avery Bradley, who didn't join the bubble, the Clippers were missing two out of their four most productive players due to quarantine. Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell, both players play almost 30 minutes a game, averaging 18 points per game, didn't play. At the final minutes of the game, uh, a player named Jamichael Green was guarding LeBron James. You know, who is that? Who's Jamichael Green? It's not the ideal player you want guarding LeBron James. If the Lakers barely beat that Clippers team when they eventually meet in the Eastern Conference Finals, I'm taking the Clippers in five or six games. And also being blown out by the Raptors in the fourth quarter strengthens my case. The second game I want to talk about is the Portland Trailblazers uh, against the Memphis Grizzlies. So the battle for the 8th seed in the Western Conference is really truly fascinating. Because every single game, the Grizzlies, Trailblazers, Spurs, Kings, and Suns are fighting for their life to prolong their season. Every game is a playoff game. Every team I listed is an underdog story, and that's why it's so fascinating. This game between the 8th and 9th seed showed how much hard both teams have. Both team stars played more than 40 minutes a game, showing the importance of this matchup. The game went back and forth until the final minute of overtime, where the Portland Trailblazers prevailed. So my take is this. At the end of the regular season, if, uh, if the gap of wins between the 8th and 9th seed is less than 4 wins, there'll be a tournament to decide who makes it to the playoffs. In my opinion, this mini-tournament may be more entertaining than some playoff series. And I'm, really to, and I'm really excited to see how it transpires. The third and final game I want to talk about is the Milwaukee Bucks, who beat the Boston Celtics 119-112. to 
Giannis Antetokounmpo had an outstanding night. 36 points, 15 rebounds, 7 assists. During the fourth quarter, Giannis was controversially not fouled out on two separate occasions. And Giannis took advantage and took over the final two minutes of the game and closed out the game for the Bucks. Jason Tatum, a Celtic star guard, had an off night, only scoring 5 points to a 2-0 for 18 from the field. And it really doesn't surprise me uh, because reports came out when the NBA was postponed that Tatum didn't touch a basketball for months. So it really isn't surprising that he was rusty. But as a Celtics fan, I'm actually encouraged by the Celtics' performance. They lost a close game to the best-seeded team in their conference, where their biggest star had an off night, and Kemba Walker, their star point guard, played less than 20 minutes. If Jason Tatum reaches his player of the month form and the Celtics find a way to slightly slow down Giannis, the Celtics can take the Bucks to seven games. And the seventh game, to me, comes down to a coin flip. And you know what? If we're already talking about the Milwaukee Bucks, let's move on to a superstar Bucks player's storyline. I'm not going to reveal the player yet. You'll have to guess throughout the story. So the player we're talking about is an absolute megastar. He was drafted six years ago and today is one of the best players in the league, if not the best. Multiple all-star appearances, he won the MVP last year, he also made a couple NBA first and second teams, and for the last three years he led his team to the playoffs. Due to not having a proven solid supporting cast, he didn't win a ring on those playoff trips, including a heartbreaking Game 7 loss to the Boston Celtics. So, due to the front office not surrounding their star with a great supporting cast, trade rumors for that player started to rise. So, who am I talking about? Is it Giannis Antetokounmpo? Actually, no, I'm not talking about him. The player in question is the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar during the 1975 season. But, does it sound similar to Giannis's case? I'll first finish the story. So in 1971, Kareem won his first ring with an aging Hall of Famer, Oscar Robertson. Even though Kareem was winning MVP every year, averaging 30 plus points per game. After the 1972 season, Robertson's numbers dropped significantly. Then Kareem was the only star on his team and he was playing with a bad supporting cast. Kareem got frustrated. He couldn't lead his team alone on his back to a championship. Then, in 1975, Kareem requested uh, for a trade out of Milwaukee. And as you know, Kareem was traded to the Lakers, and uh, there he won four more championships in LA. So, why am I telling you this story? I believe, I truly believe, history repeats itself. Now, in present time, Giannis Antetokounmpo is pretty much in the same situation. Let's look at the Bucks starting five, Giannis' supporting cast. So, there's Dante DiVincenzo. 9 points per game. I'd say pretty mediocre. Uh, you got Brooke Lopez, the center. 11 points per game, and that's okay, I guess. You have Wesley Matthews, 7 points per game. I'd say that's pretty bad. And uh, Eric Bledsoe, who isn't joining the bubble, he had a solid 15 points per game this season. And yeah, I know you're thinking about it. Yes, Giannis plays with another fellow All-Star. Chris Middleton, a... Pretty good player, averaging 21 points per game this season. And yeah, he's more than a solid player. But even the greatest player of all time, Michael Jordan, didn't win a championship with one other star. The first three-peat he had 
himself, Scottie Pippen, and Horace Grant. And the second three-peat he had himself, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman. The Bucks front office hasn't surrounded their star with a championship caliber supporting cast. Even last year, I think they had a better team with Nikola Mirotic and uh, Malcolm Brogdon. And they still lost to the Kawhi Leonard-led Toronto Raptors in six games. If the Bucks don't win the NBA bubble championship, if I were Giannis, I'd request for a trade out of Milwaukee to a team who can provide me a better supporting cast. Just like what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did exactly 45 years ago. So let's shift to this. Um, so recently, the NFL Top 100 players list concluded uh, pretty controversially by having Lamar Jackson, the reigning MVP, as the best player in the league, the number one overall player, in front of the Super Bowl MVP and last year's MVP, Patrick Mahomes. Many people don't understand Lamar's placement on this list, and so do I. But as soon as you look into the details of this list, you'll understand that this list is pretty much nonsense. So why shouldn't we take this list seriously? Because this list is a player-voted list, so there's supposed to be flaws. For example, let's just talk about some snubs from this list. So Mitchell Schwartz, the best tackle in the league, didn't make the list. Not a top 100 player. Lane Johnson, another top 5 tackle, didn't make the list. Kenny Galladay, a Lions receiver who led the NFL with touchdowns last season, didn't make the list. But the one that confuses me the most is the Eagles quarterback, Carson Wentz, who led an injury-riddled Eagles team to the playoffs, didn't make the list. But a fellow division quarterback, Dak Prescott, who had Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, Michael Gallup, and much more, didn't make the playoffs. And he's number 46 on the list. Also, Jimmy Garoppolo made the list at number 43. And there's two things I can guarantee. If Wentz was on the Cowboys last year, the Cowboys would have made the playoffs. And if Wentz was on the 49ers in the fourth quarter, leading 20-10 to 10 on the Chiefs, he would have won the Super Bowl. And I truly believe this list has an identity crisis. The NFL makes it seem like it's a real legit list. But if only players vote, it's just a popularity test. Of course, players will vote for skilled position players because they're more popular in favor of offensive linemen. It's obvious America's team's quarterback will make the list, but not Philly's quarterback, who had a better season than him. Todd Gurley was number 51 on the list. Todd Gurley didn't have a 100-yard game last season. And Jadavion Clowney was number 41, but he only had three sacks last year. The MVP, All-Pro honors, Pro Bowl votes, are voted by media analysts who know the game like it's the back of their hand. And I have a perfect example why player voting shouldn't be taken seriously. So, I think it's a Colts player who made this list. Uh, I'm gonna read the names from 1 to 20. And this is the top 20 players to this specific player. So, number 1 is Deshaun Watson. Number 2 is DeAndre Hopkins. Then Russell Wilson. Tom Brady. Lamar Jackson. Odell Beckham. Pretty weird. Patrick Mahomes. Darius Leonard, number 8, T.Y. Hilton, number 9, Khalil Mack, Julio Jones, Drew Brees, Bobby Wagner, Justin Houston for some reason, Tyreek Hill, uh, Marlon Humphrey, Minka Fitzpatrick, Michael Thomas, Marlon Mack, 
for some reason at number 20, Aaron Donald. Everyone can agree that that's not the top 20 players in the league. And that order is pretty bad, to say the least. And just another flaw just for you to know. Uh, the vote ballots for this list came at about Thanksgiving. And if that report is true, if this list is showcasing the top 100 players of this season or last season, uh, now in hindsight, the voting process should be after the season concludes, not during the season. Because many things can happen in the playoffs, many new players can emerge at, the, at late of the season, so you never know. So that concludes the very first episode of my American Sports Podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed. I really enjoyed it. And uh, you can all follow the uh, podcast Instagram at, at Catch Up Sports Podcast. And uh, I'll see you guys later. Peace.